Good evening. Very thankful to have the opportunity to be here and sit with all of you, experienced people in the realm of the spiritual, it would seem, which is fairly par for the course for this part of the country. Beautiful area. And uh, happy to be in the area in general as well. I come here a couple times a year now that we have a developing community, as mentioned, near Lake Lure. So six weeks I come in the spring and six weeks in the fall. I'm in the middle of that fall visit. So again, I'm very happy to be here. And um, we'll speak a few words about our tradition and... um, if I may, I'll refer to Bhagavad Gita. If you're familiar with Bhagavad Gita, this happens to be my translation and commentary. It's rather extended, so I'll try to be briefer. And then the text lends itself to much could be said about every verse. But um, I want to speak about bhakti, which is a popular idea. And um, I think that there is a, a general idea about bhakti. I want to say a sattvic idea about bhakti. You familiar with the term sattvic? So, for those of you who are not, just very briefly, of course, the sacred texts of the Hindus, they identify some um, influences, let's say modes of influence that the natural world um, expresses itself through and that manifests in our physique and our our psyche both. So uh, we have a physical and a psychic dimension that is part of nature. We have ourself that is, I want to say, transnatural, hmm? that, uh, that is not biological. You know, there's a number of questions that the scientific community has uh, been so kind as to list questions that they haven't yet answered. They've come up with about 120 or something like that, I think it is. The idea being that they will answer them all in due course, but um, one of them that always stuck out with me and I'm sure it will resonate with you as well, is that uh, the question is, what is the biological makeup of consciousness? This is a very unscientific question. If you look at the term, the concept of science, in terms of its original meaning, of course, with objectivity. Hmm? Uh, The community... Scientific community prides itself in objectivity, and you know the, the controlled experiment to sort out what's superstitious and and uh, a subjective belief that doesn't correspond with objective reality, and so forth. So, the question is, again, what is the biological makeup of consciousness? The point I'm making here is simple: that there is a very strong bias built into this question. Hmm? What is the biological makeup of consciousness? The answer is there is no biological makeup to consciousness. Hmm? It's not biological. Hmm? That means it's not 
relative to the biological organism or even the psychological, uh, I don't want to say organism, but it is described as an organism in the Sanskrit text, an antakaran, an internal organ of mind, ego, buddhi, manas, citta. You may be familiar with these terms from Yoga Sutras or the Gita. So both of these dimensions, the physical, if you will, and the psychic or the biological and the psychological are thought to be part of the natural world. But consciousness itself, which we are said to be constituted of, is not biological by nature. It's not psychological by nature. It's not, that means, a product of the natural world. It's not an emergent property of the brain, the implications of which are huge, of course. Um, Just to begin with, all physical manifestations, all manifestations of the natural world are here today and, and, well, gone tomorrow or or tonight or the next day or the day after. Uh, Even the sun will burn out. Hmm. It may sound fanatical to be concerned about that, but then again, it's a fact of the world, the nature of the world. Hmm. That is, all material manifestations, all manifestations of the natural world are here today and gone tomorrow. It's constantly in flux, things changing. You cannot hold on to anything forever. Hmm. And if consciousness is indeed independent of the natural world, and to coin a phrase, I suppose, or a word, transrational, hmm, then it has, unlike all material manifestations, no beginning and no end. It's not confined, that is to say, by time and space, hmm, as all material things are. Indeed, it's not a thing. How do you think about something that's not a thing? When your mind is full of thoughts of things and the pursuit of them, and the thought that by acquiring them, I'll be more, or that I'll be more fulfilled, that I'll be happier. Hmm? This is the carrot, if you will, of material nature. Hmm? It's an appetizer. But the meal of fulfillment will never come by material acquisition any more than a meal full of appetizers will give you anything but indigestion. Not a square meal, if you will. So these are just, of course, basic uh, spiritual truths, if you will, uh, from the school of yoga, Vedanta, Bhakti. Something that all of these uh, paths have in common, and I've differentiated them for a purpose, uh, because they are different. The path of 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 knowledge, the path of hmm, we call the Gita refers to it as Gyan Yoga, hmm? to the yoga of knowledge. There's the Astanga Yoga. You may be familiar with that, most of you, of Patanjali and his sutras and so forth, and there are prominent representatives of that in this in the world today. And then there's bhakti yoga. So these are three distinct paths that lead to the same place that at the same time is perceived differently relative to the way in which we approach it. Hmm? So the idea being that the 
nature of our source, if you will, is is one, but open to be perceived and experienced differently relative to the way in which we make our approach. But in all of these, jnana yoga, ashtanga yoga, and bhakti yoga, while there are differences in the approach and there are differences in the result, even while there's some common ground in the result, common to all of them is this basic idea. It's a good part or point to begin with, I think, that there's a difference between consciousness and matter. That, biolo- that, that consciousness is not doesn't have a biological origin. So we don't die, <laughs> put it in shorter terms, I suppose. And we weren't born either. Birth and death, this is relative to the biological organism. It's thought in the spiritual traditions of India that the psychic dimension, our psychology, if you will, and uh, our ego... Ahankar, it's called. Aham means I, and kar means make. So it's a made-up I. Hmm. What's it made up of? It's made up of our my. Hmm. So we we have certain sense of 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 mine, my house, my country, hmm. my this or my that, and all these mys if you will, it's such a small word of two letters, it has such big implications. The my, out of the my arises an I, if you think about it. We are differentiated, materially speaking, from one another by our desires. So some like it hot, and some like it cold, and we're at odds to one extent or another. And information about the nature of being is kind of fed to us, if you will, through the senses, uh, the tactile sense, the, the, the sense of sight and hearing, smelling, tasting, and so forth. We get impulses as to what's out there, if you will. And then they, these impulses register in the faculty of the, of the mind, like a sixth sense, as it's sometimes described, and the mind makes determinations about the impulses coming from sight, sound, touch, and so forth. And the basic differentiation is sankalpa, vikalpa. I like this, I don't like that. To put it another way, this is good, this is bad, this is happy, this is sad, this is hot, this is cold. All of these determinations are based on our particular senses, which are different from one another, hmm? although we each have a nose, we all have ears and eyes, they're all a little bit different. And so the, the, the filter through which we perceive the world hmm? and then are the senses and the, the, the faculty by which we make determinations about it is the, the subtle psychological um, dimension of ourselves, let's call it, mind in, in short. And there we make determinations, as I said, good, bad, happy, sad. And and so all of these determinations, good, bad, happy, sad, rich, poor, black, white, hmm? man, woman, Hindu, Catholic, these are all ideas hmm? uh, that fall short of what we are, but they are the ideas 
and they are attachments for one or another. One is attached to one conception or one thing or another thing. And these, my point is, these attachments, these desires, this my forms our I. Hmm? So what makes me different from others, in a sense, and all of us from one another, is our, our desires. Hmm? The problem with all these uh, differences is, well, there's a number of them. Of course, it puts us at odds to one extent or another with one another. Hmm? But the fact is that uh, nothing is ours. <laughs> we, in, in as much as, well, not in a real and enduring sense, we can't keep anything. Hmm? So as much as nothing is mine and everything belongs in an abstract sense, to time. Hmm? And time and tide, what do they say? Waits for no man or woman. Hmm? So we are renting, but we don't own, so to speak. Hmm? But the, the my and the sense of proprietorship that we have that is false gives rise to an I. Hmm? So... This is my country, so I am, I'm just giving an example, I'm not political, but I am an American, right? Or I am a whatever. So that I is as false as the my. So this I is called ahankar. It means kar, I. Kar, make, I, aham. It's a made-up I. It's a fantasy. Hmm? We're living in a virtual reality, and it seems very real, to use a more modern, perhaps, uh, example. We're plugged in, something going on on the screen, we're identified with it, and we have a life independent of that that we're unaware of. We need someone to come and say, you've got a life separate from that computer, get up. Hmm? As much as it takes the viewer to give meaning to the television, At the same time, the television can take over the life of the viewer. Hmm? This is very curious. Hmm? So, while we are transrational, if you will, hmm, and we, as units of consciousness, give meaning to matter, however we make that up, whatever we think it is, want it to be, call it a house. There are different ways of looking at it. I'm sure the termites look at it slightly differently. Hmm? Um, get my point. So, uh, <laughs> so as much as we give meaning, value to the world, at the same time the world, while that would make it seem subordinate to us, it seems to have the power to take over our lives and delude us um, or deceive us, if you will, hide from us, the fact that we are independent of the natural world. We don't die. There's a good one. Because we are all going to die. <laughs> uh, in, a, in a biological sense. Hmm? But while the biological um, unit, if you will, organism, will pass away, uh, the uh, the the psychological, the psychic dimension of our present sense of self, where the ego is really found, 
it's said to continue on. That's an interesting point. It's, it's said to be the vehicle, the subtle psychic dimension that carries us to another life. If, if, if you follow the theory, of course, of rebirth, it carries us to another life. So we take our desires with us, and then nature provides some response to our desires that's appropriate, that you know we call our karma. Hmm? Um, um, but the idea of yoga, whether it be astanga yoga, jnana yoga, or bhakti yoga, in a basic sense, of course, is to is to is is to die to the ego, to the what's making up this I. That's hmm? um, troublesome. It's troublesome because it can't be sustained. Hmm? We want to sustain it because we are a unit that is of 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 that is of uh, well of sustainability. We we are sustainable. <laughs> we we are not matter, so um, we matter hmm? in all circumstances, despite the changings of the natural world, the comings and goings. We are the observer of the ever-changing material phenomenon. So, to know that, theoretically, is a, is a very good um, starting point. It's, it gives such hope, hmm? a prospect. Hmm? In human life, we, we feel a prospect that does not arise in, to the same measure, at least, if at all, in the less complex forms of life. That prospect, that that sense is that 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 there's something more to life than what meets the eye and the mind, hmm? and we look for that. Hmm? We don't find birds, eagles that fly high in the sky, pondering, as far as we know. The, the depths of the ocean. Hmm? Certainly they don't dive there. Make it, make it, may, and we don't find the, the shark trying to touch the, the, the clouds, as the eagles do. Hmm? All these different forms of life, they seem to have it figured out, so to speak. We fly in the sky, this is what we do. We swim at the bottom of the ocean. This is what we do. What do we do as human beings? We try to go to the bottom of the ocean. We try to go to touch the stars. We try to do everything. (laughs) We are different. What's the difference? Hmm? The difference is that in human life, what's happening, what makes it really unique and special is that that atma, that consciousness that animates all forms of life, that's in the trees, that's in the birds, in the fish, it is life. Life is, again, not biological. There is a biological cycle, and then there's consciousness. Hmm? It gives meaning, value to the world. It what's makes, it what's, it's what makes matter matter. We are a unit of such value. Hmm? And in human life, it's a special form of life, well, where we can have these kind of discussions. Hmm? So human life is meant for these kind, for sadhusanga. That's what it's for. It's for finding out the more that we sense 
is there, more that, the more that, than what meets the eye and the mind. Hmm? We sense it because in human life, that atma is rising to the surface in a way that it, that, that it doesn't in the less complex forms of life. Hmm? This is like a, I want to say like a, we're like on probation. The other species are still in jail, something like that. We've got a little freedom to think, to move, and, to, and, and, and with it comes responsibility and so forth. In hmm? hmm. a sense that there's more to life hmm, than just matter, which wouldn't matter if we didn't matter about it. Hmm? In human life, we feel we could fly to the moon. I guess we did, but we feel we could go beyond the moon. We feel we could go to the bottom of the ocean, as I say, to the, to the stars and so forth. Hmm? But all of this is in pursuit of a sense of ultimate knowing that will be fulfilling and so forth. And the reason that we try, again, to do this in so many mechanical ways, in material ways, in natural ways, if you will, um, or it could be termed unnatural in another way to look at it, but, I mean, using material ingredients to make a space suit and a rocket and, or a diving suit to go to the bottom of the ocean. The reason that we feel that we should be able to do this is because we're feeling ourself in a way that we couldn't when we were in that less complex forms of life, where we could only feel the needs of how to eat, how to sleep, how to protect myself, hmm? how to mate, these are all how questions. The why question, it doesn't arise in the less complex forms of life. Why? Oh, I need time for that. Hmm? That sets me off balance. The natural world is about hows. How to eat. The natural world can answer this. Hmm? For all species of life except for us, it's figured out. Hmm? how to sleep, how to mate, how to defend yourself. Every species of life has a built-in form of protection, right? The deers run fast, obviously, to a point. Hmm? And that's a good point. Hmm? This material sense of self, this animal sense of self, we're also an animal side of us, it, can't, it can only be defended to a certain point, right? Hmm? but the deers run fast, the skunks lift up their tails, everybody's got a system hmm? to protect themselves. In other words, nature provides these things, how questions, these basic how questions, in relation to our animality, are answered by the natural world. But in human life, unlike the other forms of life, a more pressing question comes of a different quality altogether. In fact, it's a quality question. It's a why question, a meaning question. It's quite different than a how question. A meaning, value. Hmm? Nature can't answer that question. Hmm? Because nature, if you will, only matters as much as there's someone there to matter about it. Hmm? If matter independently had meaning from consciousness, who would know about it? Who would care about it? Consciousness is the knower, is the point, the carer. Hmm? 
We are of that nature, of the nature of consciousness. Hmm? So the why question surfaces in human society. Every human, somebody asked me, some people are seekers, some people are not. I disagreed. Every human is a seeker. Every human has an adolescent uh, existential crisis. And nowadays we have them at 50 or 60 as well. Again, not necessarily bad. (laughs) Why am I? Hmm? What is the meaning? What is my purpose? Hmm? These are questions that the natural world answers for us only in this way, by pointing us to another source. Hmm? Oh, if you want that question, then we have to turn to the consciousness source, to this fire that you are a spark of, if you will. What is that? What is that? What am I? You say, I am consciousness. I'm a spark of the fire of consciousness. That's an analogy. Okay, fine. But what am I? What is consciousness that I am constituted of? It's a hard question to answer. The reason it's a hard question to answer is because consciousness is not a thing. And we're surrounded by things. And we define things by comparing them to other things. Can you define that? Well, we we compare it to another thing. But consciousness is not a thing. So there's nothing to compare it to. That doesn't make it less important. It makes it very intriguing. Mm. Mm. It's not a thing. There's some something that's not a thing. <laughs> How do we even talk about it? Mm. And so this is a great... This is very exciting, if you will. It's very, it's, it's, it's very stimulating. It has great mystery and prospect to it, great hope in it. Hmm? After all, in the very basic sense, as I said, if consciousness is different from matter, which it is, which is the mystic's experience, hmm? they experience it. We couldn't demonstrate it in the lab, perhaps, but there are things that mystics do objectively um, offer to us, symptoms, if you will, behavior, if you will, that lends credibility to their ex- subjective experience and how they explain it. Hmm? We can't go inside the mystic and, and he says, she says, is like this. I experienced that I am. Not that I am American, I am Indian, I am this and that, but I am, and it's way bigger than any of those small ideas. Hmm? It's so big. Hmm? It affords me a feeling of unity with all beings in all forms of life. Hmm? Hmm? It, it, for, it allows me to do something that the Bible talks about. Here we are in the belt of it all. Um, in one sense. Uh, love your neighbor like your friend. How do you do that? Hmm? The Gita says the same thing. Best yogi is one who who knows the sufferings of others, who identifies with the sufferings of others as if they are his or her own. Hmm? You cannot do. You can only do that so far and remain in the idea that I am a Christian, I am a Hindu, I am an American. I am, you can only love your neighbor so far. Inside of these conceptions, you have to go to war with someone hmm? or something. Hmm? You understand? To maintain that I. You can never love everyone. 
you know, in the tropics, then you spend time in Costa Rica. So, you have to, you know, on the insect level, or the, you know, or even on unknowingly when we breathe, something dies. To be a breatharian, you know, you, this is another attempt. We can be a vegetarian, we can be a vegan, we can be a, a breatharian. How far you want to go? There's no. You, you have to come out of the need to breathe. Hmm? And then you could slow it down once a month, but still. <laughs> hmm? You have to transcend the breathing mechanism, if you will, and understand, oh, I'm of a different nature altogether. Hmm? And I don't breathe. I should watch my breath. And if once, as a yogi, obviously, focus in a, in a sense, so that I could stop breathing. Hmm. What am I breathing for? Hmm. To maintain an eye, a false eye. Hmm. This inevitably, invariably puts us at odds with one another on some level. Hmm. So the real, the yogic idea is, is there's another method, a different way of moving in the world by which we can rise above the biological organism, even the psychological uh, sense of self, and know yourself to be have no beginning, have no end. That means we are trying to be. Hmm? In order to be, we're trying to know. Hmm? By knowing, we might be. I get some information that helps me to be, to protect myself, to move in the world. We're trying to be, we're trying to know, and we're trying to love. Hmm? We're trying to um, but this is the problem. We're trying to do things that we are. We're trying to do things that we already are. We be. That's not the best English, but we we exist. Hmm? We exist. We are a unit of not only existence but experiential existence. Matter also exists. For example but doesn't know it exists. Hmm? It's not cognizant of the fact. So there could be an existence that isn't a knowing one. But if there's a knowing, there has to be an existence. So there could be sat, hmm? existence. But if there's chit, there has to be chit and sat. Chit means knowing. Hmm? Sat means being. Hmm? Now there could be a knowing existence that's not a loving one. But there's loving, if there's ananda, there has to be chit and sat also. If you love, you have to be, and you have to have some knowing faculty. Hmm? So you've maybe heard the terms sat, chit, ananda, being, knowing, loving, being, knowing, bliss, there are different ways to translate the Sanskrit terms. But these... This is a way in which the sacred texts have tried to talk about what we are, about consciousness. They've said it's not a thing. Hmm? So, hard to talk about. But in all of our pursuit of things, if you will, we're really trying to be. Hmm? We get things that we may be better, live better, better house, a better job, a better partner, whatever. Hmm? And we're trying to we also want knowledge, we want to know. 
Because it said, knowledge will set you free. If you get an education, then you can work less and make more. Hmm? At least through a physical sense, less physical labor and you could make more. So this is just a crude material example, obviously, but knowing, as they say in the colleges, knowledge will set you free. Hmm? We want to be and we want to be free. Hmm? Free to do what, though? Free to love, and love is an entanglement. Huh? That's very contradictory, it would seem. We want to be free, but we want to be free to love. Hmm? Huh? And love is, is it's about... Freedom is about detachment. Hmm? You follow me? I was being, but my being was dependent on having. Hmm? Because my sense of being was dependent upon having... I didn't really be very well. Because uh, I couldn't have anything for very long. Hmm? And the very sense of my existence, which was dependent upon acquisition on having, was under constant threat. Hmm? Or is under constant threat. Hmm? So, problem. So in order to be in a more in, in enduring sense, in a secure sense, I have to divorce my sense of being from having. Hmm? As much as my sense of being is tied to having, I'm not being. Hmm? I won't be for very long, hmm? or for, if we, or for very in any meaningful sense. Hmm? After all, what is more meaningful? That which we have, or the fact that we can have? You follow me? You can, you can have things, but if your whole sense of existence is dependent upon having things, you've, you lose sight of the fact that you have the capacity to have. What are you? Hmm? It means you're independent of having, actually. Hmm? So the being, the sense of being, derived from having, this is not being at all. Hmm? So, to, so, we, so in order to be, in a meaningful sense, we move away from having. Having is the karmic world. Call it taking. <laughs> having means taking. <laughs> Belongs to someone. It's not ours forever. We take it for some time from somebody, from somewhere. We take resources from the natural world. Hmm? In order to be. But uh, again, this kind of taking, this having, taking, this is criminal in a sense. So there are repercussions. That's the implications of karma. So the more our being is based on taking hmm, and having, the more we owe. So we, we go into negative numbers, if you will. The more we take, the more we go into debt. It looks for a moment like we have more, but we owe, like when you buy a house on a mortgage, you know. Then you sign the paper and you're happy and you owe three times as much what the house cost. So the karmic cycle works something like that, right? So the more we take, the more we owe. There's an appearance of having, but if you look carefully, you like have a lot less. <laughs> you owe a lot more. Hmm? And so you have to take birth again, take birth again, and so forth. So wisdom... Knowledge, in the real sense of the term, from the point of view of the sacred text, 
is about what? It's about knowing that having itself is, is illusory. Nothing belongs to us. And the being derived from it is, 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 is uh, it's questionable. Hmm? So, how do we then be if we actually know hmm? that having and taking is not where it's at? We stop taking. So we practice vairagya, detachment. Hmm? Hmm? So, so if I know, if I have real knowledge, the idea is that I know that enduring life, an enduring sense of being will not derive from attachment to things that don't endure. That's pretty easy arithmetic. If my sense of being is derived from being attached to things that don't endure, and I want a sense of being that endures, I'm looking in the wrong way. I've got the I did it I gotta redo the the math there. Hmm? So in all these schools, whether it be Gyan Yoga, Ashtanga Yoga, Bhakti Yoga, there's some form of detachment, right? Bhairagya. Hmm? Hmm? And so, the corollary of knowledge is detachment. And as I said, knowledge will set you free. So when we let go of the things in knowledge, then we start to experience a sense of being that is much larger than any being we could construct by having or by taking. Hmm? So, some schools, transcendental schools, are focused on being. And Chidananda. Some schools are focused on Chit and Sat Ananda, in a smaller way. And some schools are focused on Ananda. And Sat and Chit are less significant. Hmm? And so, as I said earlier, I'm talking about, in a roundabout way, three paths, Gyan Yoga, Ashtanga Yoga, Bhakti Yoga. Gyan Yoga is concerned with being, with Sat. Ashtanga Yoga is concerned with knowing. Bhakti Yoga is concerned with Ananda, hmm? loving. Hmm? It's not that there's no loving in Gyan Yoga, or no knowledge, but the focus is being. It's not that there's no love, or no, or no ananda, or no, no, no being in Ashtanga Yoga, but chit. This faculty, this aspect of the self, is the focus. And in bhakti, ananda is the focus. But as I said earlier, well, and this is why my, peculi- my particular uh, liking is the bhakti yoga uh, tradition. Because I feel that it really, and I, I explain it briefly, already, that being and knowing are kind of byproducts of loving. Whereas be, loving is not necessarily a byproduct of being. It's, loving is not necessarily a byproduct of knowing. Again, you could have a knowing existence. It doesn't mean it has to be a loving existence. Hmm? If your existence was knowing, primarily, hmm? And even if you knew that taking things 
for example, was ignorance and attachment to things. So you stop taking them. Stopping from taking, sometimes this is presented as love. Stop taking. Detachment. But it's a kind of a love. (laughs) It's included in love, not taking. Love is about giving, right? So not taking is included in there. But if I separate out not taking and don't include the positive side of giving, I've got kind of half a face of love. Hmm? You follow me? So bhakti tradition is about the full face of love. Anandam. Hmm? These three characteristics of the self, the self is, the self knows, it's the knower, it's luminous, it means. Nothing can illuminate it, it's luminous. It illuminates everything, as I've already explained. It gives meaning to the world hmm? and value. So the world is not going to light it up. Hmm? It lights up the world, so to speak. The world is, you know, kind of... Maybe the lights are on, but nobody's home, something like that. But Consciousness means we, we, we are the, we're, there's somebody living there, too. Hmm? They turned on the lights, so to speak. So... So, interesting thought. But uh, so, a yoga of loving, a yoga of knowing, a yoga of being. These aspects of ourself, we exist, we be, independent of the biological organism and the psychological uh, functions that correspond with it. We exist, and we are luminous. We are a unit of knowing, consciousness. It's hardly, the word knowledge is used in different ways, but I'm using it here, the way the texts speak about it. You have to stretch your mind a little bit, but luminosity. It's like light is used in in analogy to to be, correspond with knowledge. Lights came on. I got a light bulb in my head, an idea. So the self is a unit of being. It's a unit of knowing and it's a unit of loving. And that's what we do. We, 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 we try to be, and we try to know, and we try to love. Really, in my opinion, we should be and know to love. Not that we should love to know and be. Hmm? That's why I have been attracted since my youth to bhakti yoga. Hmm? Since I was, I don't know, about 22. I'm 65 now. Hmm? So... Um, I know you're all familiar with bhakti, but it's a, it's pretty interesting. There's a lot. There's a lot. It's a, it's a yoga of love, which sounds like throw the philosophy out the door. Let's just love, and that's that's true to an extent. But it's wise love, also. Hmm? There's a lot of wisdom and, uh, if you will, philosophy and the theology also. Hmm? Because if the love to love fully, well. Love. Let's put it like this: Love is enhanced in the company of another. You could love yourself, and we should. I mean, even in a psychological sense, in the industrial society, as you know, there's a there are a lot of problems hmm, that have arisen psychologically that 
lack of self-esteem, and you know, a lot of people suffer from these things, and depression and so forth. So you should love yourself in that sense, and also because you are a unit of love, actually. But love and our capacity to love, although we're a unit of love, it, it obviously, the very word and our very experience of it, materially speaking, it leads us to believe that love is enhanced with another. It's about sharing. The very root, Sanskrit root from which the word bhakti comes from, bhaj, bhaj, it means to, to give and to take. So there has to be another. There's a kind of dualism I'm speaking about here, inside of non-dualism. These are words that are out and about in contemporary spirituality. They're used in different ways, and it's often it's good to define them when you when you when you use them. Hmm. We're speaking about non-duality when we say we want to transcend the dualities of hot and cold and good and bad and so forth. Hmm? We're speaking about a duality at the same time when we say there's a difference between consciousness and matter. Hmm? And when we speak about love, we're speaking about, in, in yoga, in bhakti, we're speaking about a dualism and a non-dualism at the same time. Hmm? Because, think about it, in love, you have to become one with another and remain different at the same time. If you and I fall in love, then you and I become we. It's not that you disappear and I disappear. I take your desires and make them mine. You take your desires, you take my desires and make them your We change hearts, just exchange hearts. I'm just using an, you know, words to explain. But so you, you and I become one, but we're still both there. Hmm? This is illogical, if you will. And in, in other words, how can you become one with somebody and be different from them at the same time? But that's the very nature of love. And love and life, I should say, does not proceed in any meaningful way. Hmm? Ultimately, uh, by logic. Hmm. Love knows no reason, it said, in common English parlance. Hmm? In the, in the, of course, that often means that's a kind of a bad thing. You know, you say, she's not good for you, he's not good for you, but you won't listen, you go anyway. And then some wise people say, see, I told you. Hmm? But that's all in, in material life, of course. Hmm? But the same... Adage, love knows no reason, applies in transcendence. Hmm? Love transcends, ultimately, knowing. Hmm? It's a kind of knowing at the same time that's complete. Love is pregnant with a kind of knowing. You know what to do. There's no other added extra baggage of knowledge that you're carrying around. You know what to do. Hmm? And on, on automatic something like that. So, anyway, to love, we need another. But we can't have another that's a product of, that's a thing, or who thinks they're a thing. We've already gone beyond the things. We've gone to being. I'm sought. I'm not biological. Psychological immunity of sought. This is a huge thing. I mean, it's easy, not even easy to talk about, but it's very difficult to, to realize. 
but it's worth the pursuit. Hmm? Sadhana. You know the term? Sadhana. It's a serious thing. To be a sadhaka, to live in this world as a spiritual practitioner and to, to relish this kind of company, sadhu sangha, to live with this. This is, this is rewarding. Hmm? Even before you become a siddha, you know, I'm doing the right thing and I'm not waiting for everybody else to join me. Somehow I've understood something and I can't even describe it, but it's very important. Hmm? It's more important than everything. Hmm? It's the solution to everything. It's about a kind of a being and knowing and loving that everybody's pursuing that that outdistances all other relative forms of being, knowing and loving. It makes them look like unbeing, not being, ignorance and hate hmm? and war. Hmm? So this is this is this is very uh it's overwhelming, this kind of Prospect comes to why it comes to us. We don't know. Invent yourself. You know. It's real. These are real. This is real. These texts have been around a long time. The fact that they have these these are the, where these ideas come from. Of course, the fact that they have currency in our world, thousands of years later, is very significant amongst educated, thoughtful people like yourselves. I talked about science earlier, which has its value. Obviously, it's a way of examining the world also. We derive things from it that are, are useful in a relative sense. But there's no place in the scientific community that science has looked to more in pursuit of trying to understand consciousness than India hmm? and the sacred text of Hindus and the Buddhism that arises out of Hinduism historically. Hmm? There, the consciousness was the subject from the beginning, almost as if there was no beginning. And of course, that's the Hindu idea. (laughs) There's no beginning. Hmm? Worlds coming and going like the breathing of God, in and out, expanding and contracting universes, and all that breathing has no beginning. Hmm? Listen to the river, something like that, you know, Siddhartha, a long time ago. But... (laughs) This is uh, to ideas to take us beyond linear time. These ideas, beginnings, ends, and uh, familiarize ourselves in some way by thinking with what we, the nature of ourselves actually has no beginning, has no end. So as we exist, hmm, we are a unit of existence, a unit of knowing, and a unit of loving capacity at the same time. We're just a unit. I mean, it's pretty cool what we are. Hmm? And as I said, we give meaning to matter. But if you recall earlier, I said, we also find ourselves in a situation where matter seems to take over our life. And things that matter get lost. Hmm? That means, although we're a unit of consciousness, hmm, and although a spark give an analogy, is one with the fire. It's also different from a fire, right? You can't cook with a spark. And you can't heat your house with a spark. But with a fire you can. Hmm? So the point I'm making only here is that 
this type of explanation that comes in the bhakti school, that you are a spark of the fire, you are one with the fire, if you will, of consciousness, but you're different from it at the same time, gives a very rational explanation as to why consciousness, although superior to matter, can be overwhelmed by matter. Because it's just a spark. That can't happen to the fire. Hmm? But it could happen to the spark. So we are in a peculiar kind of situation. Hmm? We're by nature superior to the to the world of comings and goings, but we, we think we're coming and going. We're struggling to uh, to, 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 to overcome the going. Hmm? Uh, we're, we seem to be threatened with, the, with non-existence, like we're on death row. We don't think about it, and we think it might be morbid to think so, but <laughs> it's happening. And of course, while I emphasize this point, I'm only emphasizing it for the sake of negative impetus to move in another direction. There's positive impetus as well. Hmm? Yes, our sense of the made-up eye is dying, but there's another eye. Hmm? There's another eye. Hmm? In Gyan Yoga, the Gyani has certain disciplines that make up, I'm speaking classically, if you will. I know we are entrepreneurial uh, on stilts here in America. <laughs> it's a good thing and it's a bad thing. Some of these traditions are worth uh, exploring in their um, pristine uh, form, if you will. So in Gyan Yoga, there are certain, I want to say, in the body of Gyan Yoga, there are limbs that, that make it up, what it constitutes the practice. So, they are Vivek, Bairagya, hmm. means introspection. Vivek means introspection. In Gyan Yoga, they take certain aphorisms, for example, classically speaking, from the Upanishads, like Tattvam Asi, Aham Brahmasmi, Neti Neti. They're like cones or something. What do they mean? Neti Neti, not this, not that, not this, not that. Tattvam Asi, you are that, you are that. What does that mean? So they meditate on the aphorisms hmm? with great introspection and control of the mind, they practice this. And then they practice detachment. So in order to practice detachment, they often, these type of yogis put themselves in situations that require some detachment, like bathing in the Ganges in the winter, at night, up to your neck, and standing there all night. You got to be detached from the cold <laughs> in order to do that. Or in the summer, somebody may have been to India. It gets pretty hot there in some parts. In the summer, at noon, sitting next to the fire. Hmm. This is bairagya. These are very, this is the idea. Knowledge is that there's a difference between myself and matter. Hot and cold are all conceptions of the mind. I'm going to push the, the issue and experience it. Hmm. These are challenging ideas for the American public uh, and the contemporary spiritual community. 
You've seen them dressed in ashes. This is part of their path. There are sixfold virtues that are followed also, and a longing, kind of the central limb of the body of Gyan Yoga is a longing for moksha. Hmm? Moksha means liberation, the freedom we talked about, a kind of being that is not under threat, doesn't undergo any transformation of birth and death, sat, hmm? longing for this. So the focus of this Gyan Yoga is being. Hmm? Hmm? And we are part, partially a unit of being, as I said. Hmm? And our source also exists. Brahman is often the word used to describe the source, if you will. And the idea in Gyan Yoga is to, is to merge with that source and just to be. Hmm? Just to be. And there's knowing. The knowing there, in that being state, is... I know that I exist and and the loving is I love to exist. This existence, I'm loving this compared to the one I had previously, which of course is not an afterthought, but <laughs> which was troublesome. I was trying to be and I didn't know and it wasn't very pleasurable, very blissful, very loving. It was full of problems. So to overcome that type of existence, if the, if the, if you're, you know, if somebody's chasing you down the street, you finally get inside a door and close it. Oh, I'm loving this. This is great. I'm not being chased anymore by my mind, by my senses, by the reactions coming from nature as a result of my taking the karmic reactions. It just, ah, oh, oh, peace, peace, peace. I be, and I'm loving to be. Hmm? So there's a kind of knowing there. There's a kind of loving there. In that being, there's no taking. That's done. He's a nice guy. She's a nice girl. Of course, they're not a guy or a girl, but they're not taking. Hmm? That's beautiful. Hmm? And the identification with the Absolute Brahman is... is Identification with the idea that the source, consciousness that we're a spark of, is everywhere. Hmm? So God, if you will, if you use a Western term, is everywhere. Hmm? Now, if you're everywhere, you can't move, right? You're already there. Hmm? So the ideal in Gyan Yoga is eternal stillness. Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. Peace, peace, peace. Hmm? Just being. Hmm? So restful compared to our normal life. It's so, I mean, we're so much driven. You can't stop thinking about what you'll do next. And you never come up with good enough thoughts to make that next moment end all thinking. Hmm? Which is so troublesome. It's not because we think we know. Hmm? It's not because we have eyes we can see or ears we can hear. They're getting in the way of our thinking, our knowing, our hearing, our seeing. 
what we are. So to go so Gyan Yoga is for this. Now Ashtanga Yoga, that's a little different. And in the Gyan Yoga, there's 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 an acknowledgement that their consciousness is different from matter. I merge with with the Brahman and I'm restful and peaceful and I'm everywhere because I'm identified with that which is everywhere. I don't have to move. I'm peaceful. Um, so there's not much much duality there. There's no movement. In order for there to be movement, there has to be, well, differentiation. Right? Hmm. And the sense that you're everywhere has to be lacking. So it's a very kind of eternal stillness. This is a huge thing, as I say, compared to the madness of the movement of material existence. We're just like going in circles, samsara, round and round and round, and up the down escalator we're trying to do. <laughs> so to just get out of that is so huge that some people just stop there. Freedom, that's it. They realize that they they be, and they love it, and they really know it. In Astanga Yoga, there's difference. There's some duality, because Astanga Yoga is about focus on chit, on knowing. In the context of focusing on the chit, like Yoga Samadhi, omniscience, yoga. You take yoga, Astanga Yoga. It's about knowing everything, how to digest. Hmm? how to control all the organs of your body, for example. Knowing gives us a kind of a control. Hmm? You follow? So yoga is really about omniscience. Hmm? It's about being, but it's focused more on knowing and loving to know hmm? and be. Hmm? And so, for example, in Yoga Sutras, the practice for chitta vritti nirodha, to free the chitta from any vrittis. I don't know if you're familiar with the term, but the chitta is like the faculty in the, in the, in the, in the subtle body that, that perceives. And then impressions of the world go on the chitta. And then we, we are forced to act according to those impressions. That's called samskaras. Tendencies come because we've acted in a certain way. We're like robots doing the same thing again and again. Same choices are presented. We pick the same choice. Hmm? So to free the chitta from these vrittis, hmm? that's to become peaceful. Chitta vritti nirodha, remove the, hmm? So the, there are practices for this. Hmm? And... It's not that the consciousness of the jnani doesn't become cleansed. It does also, but it's done in a different way in yoga. And the main way that's mentioned in the Yoga Sutras, one, two, three times, is Ishwar Pranidhan. Ishwara Pranidhan. Ishwara Ishwar means God. It means controller, literally. That's with a capital I. Hmm? Something like that. And so Pranidhan means, it's kind of like saying Bhakti. Prani, to make pranam, hmm? to recognize another, that, I, that, there, that there's, it's not about me, or something like that. Hmm? It, it's so there's, in yoga, in knowing, you see, there has to be another, because there has to be something to know. 
If my knowing is just, I know that I exist. I know that I'm not this and I'm not that. That's not the full face of knowing. I know that I'm not this. Well, do you know anything? (laughs) I know that I'm not this. I know that I'm not that. Of course, they do know. They know that they exist. But knowing, when focused on, implies some subtle duality. Knowing another. So in yoga, the ideal in Astanga Yoga is not to become the Ishwar, but to know the Ishwar. Hmm? And so, like Krishna Namacharya, for example, he's the guru of two of the most um, popular yoga teachers in the community, both of whom I think have passed away now, Iyengar and Patabi Joyce. Hmm? So we go back a generation. And what does he say, Krishna Namacharya? The goal of yoga, Astanga Yoga, is Bhakuntam. Bhakuntam. Shantarasa. Hmm? It means to sit and to be and to know that there is another and to witness the other, kind of like a beatific vision. Hmm? In Gyan Yoga, there's nothing to, there's nobody to look at. <laughs> there's nothing to look at. It's just being. I mean, it's not that you have eyes, but uh, but just being. But in 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 Chantarasa, there's the same stillness, hmm? but there's an acknowledgement, an acquaintance with the other that has a shape. Hmm? Or to see it has to have a shape, a form. This is a curious idea. Because we forms are here today and gone tomorrow. We're conscious. Maybe when we talk about consciousness, you start to think formlessness. And there's some truth to that. But forms can inhibit and forms can facilitate. Right? What do you think? Without that cup, I could not have taken advantage of the water. Hmm? Here is a, just a crude example that form is facilitating, not inhibiting. So if this is true, even materially speaking, then what is the form of consciousness? Satchit anandas. Have any shape. It's everywhere. It can't move. It's all-knowing. The Ishwara of yoga is all-knowing. Said to be partially manifest in the heart of every being, or in, within the heart of every unit of consciousness, all-knowing. So to sit and to know hmm, the Godhead and just observe hmm, some... How you, you could picture it, of course. What is the being, knowing, and loving having a shape? Hmm? Of course, mystics have experienced, they've told us something about the shape. It's very interesting. Hmm? This is, so in the Stanga Yoga, anyway, the goal is, is knowing hmm? and some kind of loving and some kind of being also, obviously. Same kind of being, but being and there's differentiation. Now, now we go to Bhakti Yoga, and I'll try to be brief. We talked for some time. Bhakti Yoga is about loving. About Ananda. Hmm? Oh. You know, well, I should have said, in Astanga Yoga, you know, have, I said there were Angas, limbs of the body of Gyan Yoga. Detachment, introspection, longing for moksha. So you may know there are limbs of also the body of Astanga Yoga. Yama, Yama, Asana, hmm, Pranayam, Pratyahar, Dhan, 
dharana, dhyan, samadhi, these are the angas. Hmm? You may have noticed that in jnana yoga, kirtan is not one of the angas. Hmm? We did some kirtan tonight. That's popular. Hmm? You're popular. Our host popular. Kirtan airs. Yeah. In, 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 in astanga yoga, go through them. Yama, niyama, asana, pranayam, pratahar, dharana, dhyan, samadhi. Kirtan's not mentioned. So classically speaking, it's not a limb of the body of yoga. Hmm? But then we come to bhakti. Yeah, the Gita, Krishna says, Satatam kirtayanto mam yatantas chadridabrataha Satatam kirtayanto mam You know there are many gods and goddesses, of course. There's Saraswati and Kali, uh, Durga's her another name, um, Lakshmi, so many, right? Hmm? So many gods and goddesses. The Hindus, they got a god for everything and a goddess for everything. Hmm? But if you look at the iconography, art, and so forth, they all have meaning. Hmm? They all have some... They, they connect with something, right? In our psyche, in the natural world, and so forth. So the, the kind of a deification of all faculties and that which controls those faculties, like the sun is a faculty that controls our sight. Without sun, without light, we cannot see, and so there's a sun god. Hmm? And um, there's a moon god for taste. So that the moon gives taste to the vegetables and so forth. So it's a nice idea in many respects. Hmm? And it's an interesting topic um, from different angles of vision. But hmm? Krishna, who says, Satatam kirtayantomam, he says, my devotees who do bhakti, hmm, that I am the god of, uh, they are always chanting about me. They are doing kirtan. Hmm? So my point is that Shiva, who wears ashes and meditates, hmm, he doesn't say, do kirtan about me. It's not a bad idea, but it's not something he asked for necessarily. Hmm? Ganesh, you know Ganesh, the son of Shiva? Hmm. He's got the elephant head, it's a nice story. But he doesn't say, do kirtan for me. Hmm? But Krishna has said that. So, kirtan is one of the angas, one of the limbs of the body of bhakti. There are a number of them. Hmm? Shravanam, kirtanam, vishnu, smaranam, parasevanam, archanam, bandhanam, dasyam, sakyam, atmani, vedanam. Hmm? This is the path of Shuddha Bhakti, I should say. Hmm? When I say Bhakti, you think love, devotion. Everybody has love, devotion. Hmm? Doesn't the jnani have any any devotion? Doesn't the, don't you have to be devoted to your practice in Astanga Yoga to be successful? Hmm? Certainly. But that is Saguna Bhakti. <laughs> that means Krishna here talking about we call Nirgun Bhakti. Hmm? Sabuna Bhakti means that something from sattva, hmm. we began with this. Hmm. There is sattvika bhakti and there is nirguna bhakti. Hmm. Sattva, rajas, tamas, three influences of the material, of the natural world. 
that you know you drive down the street and you see a, a billboard for go to the casino and you think Thomas huh? uh, or you see one that says um, you know save the trees well, there are better ones than that <laughs> so you think sattva hmm? virtue and then you see one for uh, get ahead, hmm. rajas, and it comes in food and, and everything, right? Hmm. So, and these are in our psyche and our physical bodies made up of these influences, sattva rajas. So there's a kind of bhakti. Hmm. It's called sattviki bhakti. Hmm. With the help of this bhakti, you can be successful in jnan. By the help of this bhakti, you can be successful in ashtanga yoga. Obviously, without dedicating yourself, you're not going to be successful. So some kind of bhakti is required in all of these schools, is the point, in order to be successful. Now, the school that Krishna's talking about here, this is a different thing. This is nirgun bhakti. It's not made up of sattva, which is the clearing influence, the influence of clarity and knowledge and happiness. You can have a very fine sattvic existence, very close to the spiritual, and it will promote spiritual thinking and clarity of thought on what is spiritual and what is material and so forth, and impetus to act in ways that will 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 um, invite your progress spiritually and so forth. Hmm? But but kirtan, as is spoken of here in the Gita, is very interesting because it's about it's a, it's it's nirgun. It means it's a shakti. Hmm? Just like there's Maya Shakti, the world, and its illusory influence. And then there's us, the Jiva, the spark, as another Shakti. Just like if you have a fire. Fire has smoke. That is Maya Shakti, the world. Hmm? Fire has sparks. That's us. We're bright, not dark, like smoke, but we're small. We could come under the influence of the smoke and we can't dispel the smoke by ourselves. Hmm? This is the problem. Hmm? And then the fire has heat and light. This is a more subtle point. Fire has smoke. Fire has sparks. That's pretty easy. Fire has heat and light. But there's fire and the fire has heat and light. Fire is like the whole picture, and what I'm talking about is the energies of the fire. Smoke is an energy of the whole fire. Sparks are energy. Hmm? Heat and light are. Hmm? So there's an internal shakti. There's There's an external shakti, the maya shakti. There's this intermediate shakti, the jiva. It can be influenced by the maya shakti and deluded as to what it is. It's Satchitananda. Hmm? And then there's an internal Shakti that's part of the consciousness world that makes it go round. Hmm? What do I mean by that? We said that Brahman is everywhere, can't move. Hmm? The Ishwar of yoga is all-knowing, omnipresence, omniscience. Both of these things seem desirable. 
to be everywhere at once. That'd be cool. Hmm? To know everything. To, <laughs> to be all-knowing. There, but there are two. Par- there is a problem with both of these things. This is very subtle now. If you are everywhere, hmm? if you're omniscient and you're omnipresent, the problem is there's nowhere to go. Well, I'm everywhere, but still, there's nowhere to go. <laughs> there's no excitement. Hmm? Everything's already known. What's next? Hmm? These are problems. So God, the Godhead is all-knowing and all-pervasive. We think that would be good, so we practice jnana or yoga to be all-pervasive and all-knowing. But the Godhead is thinking, it's not that great. Hmm? To be everywhere at once, there's nowhere to go. To know everything, what will I do? I already know everything. As soon as I go to do something, I already know what's going to happen. So it takes the impetus out. Hmm? So what does the Godhead do to solve the problem if of boredom? Hmm? He plays. That is called Leela. Hmm? And Nirgun Bhakti is all about Leela. Leela is a kind of movement. It means literally play, divine play. Hmm? On the one side, we have movement in this material world by the force of karma. We've taken, so now we owe and we have to move. Hmm? Something's chasing us, the reaction. If we get free from that, we can sit peacefully. Om Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. Hmm? But again, if we want love, there seems to have to be some movement. Hmm? Some other, some exchange. Hmm? And it can't be in relation to things that are here today and gone tomorrow. So in transcendence, in the subjective world of consciousness, hmm? Krishna is, is the Brahman playing. Hmm? He plays hard. <laughs> real hard. Or real well, I should say. Hmm? So that is called Leela. Leela is a different kind of movement. Now, in karmic implication is we move out of necessity. Hmm? We feel we, we need something. We're lacking because we've identified with, not with ourselves, but with matter, and the form is, needs to be sustained. So we're moving out of a necessity. If we, were, if we were in real knowledge and we were fulfilled, we wouldn't move. Hmm? If you don't have any desire, why move? Right? So just sit peacefully. Shanti, shanti, shanti. But now Leela is a kind of movement. Well, we're going like in circles here, I'd say. But this is a different kind of movement. Hmm? There's movement out of, out, of, out of lack of fulfillment, out of want, and then there's movement out of fullness. Celebration. I'm full. Hari. I'm, and dancing. I have to just say it. I'm happy. I'm so full. This is Leela. This kind of movement. It has no repercussions, reactions. It's not about taking. Hmm? It's not only about not taking, it's about loving, moving in love, only giving. Hmm? And the God for this, that is Krishna. Hmm? You've seen the play of Krishna. It's depicted in art, in music, in, in drama, in literature for thousands of years. It lends itself, this Krishna, to so much, uh, so, it's so, uh, I want to say, human-like. Krishna's human-like. This idea of the Godhead enables us to form a bond 
with our source in ways that we could not otherwise hmm? because of the human likeness of it. What is the human likeness? It means this. Hmm? I said Brahman is everywhere, can't move. Krishna is moving. How does that happen? How does someone who's everywhere move? That is the power of bhakti. Hmm? We have the maya shakti, we have ourselves, the jiva shakti, and we have, it's called, well, bhakti shakti, the shakti of bhakti. Hmm? Just like the, the karmic influence of the maya shakti is moving us in this world, hmm? stop that, become peaceful. On the other side, if you go there by bhakti, then bhakti is animating the world. Hmm? Krishna in Leela never stops. He goes to bed at night in appearance and steals out the window to meet with Radha. He's never never stopping. Bhakti has the power to animate, animate the absolute, to make that which is all omnipresent move. That's a very peculiar kind of movement. We have to realize we're talking about the subjective world where there are possibilities that, that, that were not afforded here in the objective world. Hmm? The physical world of limitation, the world of mind, and so forth. Hmm? The play of Krishna is performed, and that's the real world, by the way. We're a unit of that world. Hmm? We seek to verify the subjective world by objective means only because we're attached to the objective world and have a misconception of what is real. Hmm? In our material idea of what is real, impossible is a huge word. Hmm? In a subjective world, it doesn't appear in the lexicon there. Hmm? It's not in the dictionary in transcendence. Hmm? So the absolute playing, that is Krishna, hmm? is the idea. Now, you know the different gods and goddesses of Hinduism, as I said, they're depicted in different ways. They have different weapons, different carriers, Durga rides on a tiger. She's got, you know, eight arms and or whatever, you know. There's, there's, there's. It's a lot of very interesting. Of course, all this. But the Krishna is only playing. Hmm? Play the flute has nothing to do. Herds cows, uh, dances with Radha, hopes that Radha loves him. What kind of idea of God is this? He's not like sitting in meditation, all knowing, hmm? the controller. His life seems like it's controlled by Radha. Hmm? If you study the Leela, it is. Oh, this is a very peculiar thing. Hmm? This, it speaks of the power of bhakti, to control the controller. After all, that is the power of love. If I control you physically, you'll know it, and you'll object. If I control you mentally, you may not know it, but it won't be good for you. And someone else may have to come and say, get away from him, he's bad, he's manipulating you. It's more pervasive, but more subtle. To be controlled physically, to be controlled mentally, this doesn't sound good. What about being controlled by love? That's okay. Why is it okay? Because if I control you by love, you will control me. That's what love is. Hmm? You understand? Hmm? It's a friendly kind of control. I give up my control to you. Hmm? And you give up your control to me. (laughs) 
So, hmm? it's happy. Hmm? So, just as in a material sense, love has a certain power to do, well, impossible things. In love, your object of love's faults become ornaments, isn't it? There's a saying, mother named her blind son Lotus Eyes. She's blinded by love for her son. Blind eyes are not particularly beautiful, but she sees with motherly affection and says, oh, he has Lotus Eyes. Who's, what's real? <laughs> the power of love turn his faults. The others who don't have the love will focus on into ornaments. This is the power of love. All things possible. In Bhakti Yoga, there is Krishna. He is the, 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 the principal, I want to say, deity of Kirtan. He's the one asking for Kirtan. Hmm? And he says, Satatam Kirtayantamam. Do this Kirtan to me anywhere, Satatam. At all times, any place. You can face east, south, northwest. Stand on your head. You can do it in your sleep while you're eating. It's very easy, he said. This yoga of loving is very easy. There are some rules, um, but it's really about transcending all the rules. The rule is, always chant about me. That's the rule. Where there are rules, there is no love. Where there is love, there are no rules. It's not that there's not some philosophy, as we're seeing, that underlies bhakti, and some practices, but in spirit, if you understand it, the effort is, what is the effort in bhakti? The effort is to get grace. Make an effort to get grace. Hmm? How will a young child, a young girl, control the king? Is that contrasting? A young child, girl, child will control the king. It's possible. Hmm? He could take off his crown and forget his whole kingdom for a moment out of affection for her. If she brings him a flower. Hmm? Such is the power of love. Hmm? Krishna, the god of love in all the Hinduism. Hmm? And love and play requires power. In order to play, you have to have power. You follow me? Let's say you want to take a vacation. Well, you have to have some money in the bank. That's power. You have to have the power to take off time from work. Hmm? So Krishna is depicted as only playing. He has nothing to accomplish. Hmm? This is why he is the god of bhakti yoga, in particular. Hmm? The perfect object for loving. He, he, he's, he has all power, but the power is not like in any kind of overt sense. It's very subtle. Hmm? The power of attraction, affection. He's surrounded by cows, as depicted the ideas. Cows are only giving. They eat grass. It grows on concrete. Hmm? And from grass... They give milk. Hmm? And if you take care of such a princess, a milk princess, though, you'll have yogurt and butter and ghee and so many things. Hmm? And more than the calf can possibly take. Hmm? For what? For grass? Hmm? So the idea is, these are givers. He's surrounded by givers. Hmm? He presents himself as the perfect object of giving in a yogic sense, in a wise sense. Hmm? 
And by doing kirtan about Krishna, one enters into the play of the Absolute, and there's movement and transcendence. Hmm? Why he appears like human-like? Because if the infinite does not take on a finite-like shape, how will it be possible for us finite beings to have intimacy with the Godhead? If I was God, and I'm not, but I said I was and I convinced you, then you might say, oh my God, you would move back a little bit. Oh my God. So, in loving, you see, knowing and being have to be reduced to some extent. They're not as a, of as much concern. Hmm? If I love someone and I'm with them, I can live under a rock. My existence, my domain, is of no consequence. Hmm? If I love someone and they love me, what else is there to know? Hmm? There's nothing else to know. Knowing is, 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 is retired. Hmm? So in bhakti, the knowing and the existing is diminished. Therefore, Krishna is depicted as being in like this village. In the Indian context, it's like like living in the Appalachians or something like that. You know, it's just a real simple, quiet, nothing that, you know, it's just, a very simple existence, herding cows, hmm? nothing glamorous and uh, um, royal and so forth. The existence is simple. You don't need much. You love there. The knowing, the knowing, Krishna is in an unknowing condition. The Godhead has given up omniscience, given up om- omnipresence to play. Hmm? And taken on a finite like appearance in order for there to be intimacy between ourselves and the Godhead. Hmm? And so the members, the players of the Leela, that is the ideal of the yogins in bhakti to enter into, hmm? this affords affords a kind of uh, intimacy with the Godhead. Hmm? So the feeling in bhakti yoga, in its perfection, is that Krishna is one of us. Hmm? Just like you would love a friend, just like you would love a lover, something like that. So these are high ideas, actually. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a few words, uh, maybe a few too many, but uh, uh, about the subject of Bhakti Yoga and about the nature of the, the Krishna Kirtan that we preoccupy ourselves with. Thank you very much for your your presence and, uh, and, and time. Any question? You did a good job. You gave me some good things to think about, some thoughts I had never thought of before. They've come to me, thanks to you. I appreciate it very much. <laughs> I'm used to this. No questions. It happens often, so don't be embarrassed. <laughs> but, uh, shall we... Have more kirtan. Hello. Hello. <laughs> what was the time? Eight thirty. Oh, we talked for a long time. Huh? What time did we start? Six thirty, seven. Forgive me. I'm sure you have important things to do. Can we chant one more? Yeah, we can. We can. We chant. Go in the giant, yeah. Something. Yeah.
you know this one Govinda Jaya Jaya Gopal Jaya Jaya Radha Ramana Hari Govinda Jaya Radha is there most important to us Radha means Bhakti personified